Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, it's me, Sam Baker. And before we go on with the show, I want to tell you about an exciting new initiative coming from The Shift. Many of you have asked how you can support the podcast further and get more Shift into the bargain. Well, now you have the opportunity to do just that by joining The Shift community. You can go to steady.media forward slash The Shift and become a member of The Shift. In return for supporting the podcast, you'll receive exclusive weekly newsletters, community membership and plenty of other perks aimed at bringing us all closer together. That's Steady. Dot media forward slash the shift. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no holds barred truth about being a woman post 40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster Sam Baker. My guest today is the queen of Scottish comedy, Janie Godley. Janie has played Broadway, won tons of awards and written a best-selling memoir, but you might know her for the viral voiceover videos she did of Nicola Sturgeon during lockdown. If you haven't seen them, check out her Twitter. Now Janie has turned her hand to fiction with Nothing Left Unsaid, a moving but coffee-snortingly hilarious story of five single mums struggling to survive in 70s Glasgow. Last November, Janie was diagnosed with stage 3 ovarian cancer and COVID on the same day. Ever since, in true Janie style, she has shared her ups and downs on social media on a mission to make sure everyone knows more about the signs of ovarian cancer than she did. My husband and daughter both had COVID as well. We all had COVID. They two were dying and I was absolutely fine. So I'm walking about the house crying, going, I've got cancer. And they're like, can I get a wee chopped egg in a cup? I'm really ill. And I'm like, hey, everybody. <laughs> Janie joined me from her home in Glasgow not long after what was hopefully her last chemo to talk about the shock of ovarian cancer, feeling like a hand grenade in the family and why she's not wearing a wig to make anyone else feel comfortable and why she'll always be proud to be gallus. Oh, well, Janie, thank you so much for doing this. I really oh, appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you feeling? Because I saw you yeah, didn't have a great night, did you? No, it's the steroids make your brain race and oh, it's just stressful, you know. It's just you wake up and go, fuck, I've got cancer. They're going to put me on these PRAB inhibitors, which is these tablets that stop the the cancer from spreading. But it's a big deal. And then they come out to your house and take your blood and do your blood pressure. And then the tablets are biked out to you and you're not allowed to touch them. And you ha- and I'm like, for fuck's sake. So I'm going to be on them for a couple of years and, and they've got side effects as well. But you have to weigh up everything. So it's just really stressful, you know. What a nightmare. It was your last chemo session earlier mm-hmm. this week, wasn't it? Last, we hope, last. Hopefully, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
God, how are you doing in um, yourself? Just, you're just always aware that you're a hand grenade in the family. You know, I'm the person that's going to either destroy or make this family okay if I survive it, you know? God, the pressure. Yeah. On top of everything else. Yeah, yeah, oh, basically. Oh, God. Well, thank you so much for coming on and finding time all. to come on. I really appreciate it. I'm just very honest when people ask me questions. I don't say it for sympathy or anything. When people ask me, I'm just very honest about how I feel. I don't try and whitewash it and go, no, I'm fine. You know, you've got to be put... I'm just very fucking honest about it. You know, that's what it does. Yeah. That whole I'm fine thing is never true anyway. No, no. Have you ever been an I'm fine person? Oh, yeah. For years I was always like, I'm fine. I'll get on with it. Yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. No, it's fine. No, it's absolutely fine. But... (laughs) Uh, that's because I had to, you know, I always had to survive. I always had to get on. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I loved the book. I absolutely loved it. Thank you. I was just saying to Stephen, your PR, sorry for the listeners, remind me like Big Little Lies, but in Govan in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I absolutely it's, loved it. I'm glad and, you did. No, and I inhaled it like one sitting as well, down in one. Well, split it in half because I did half on Audible with you, you reading it to me. Mm-hmm then I I read the second half but no absolutely loved it when you started writing it did you set out to write a love letter to we warrior women what did you set out to do I think I set out to tell a story that was quite nostalgic about a very important time in the 70s well 1976 was the hottest summer since the sun had arrived in Scotland (laughs) <laughs> and 1978-79 was the winter of discontent, which changed the political landscape in Scotland when Thatcher came to power. And there was just a brief moment of time for me and my personal observations where women were coming out of the, it's okay to be a single mum, still frowned upon, but they weren't getting shoved into homes and the dawn of the 80s when it was punk was leaving and disco was dying and it was okay for men to wear eyeliner and frilly shirts and dance to adamant. So it was just a sort of time shift change at that point. And I did want to write about all the strong women that I knew, all the Isas and Sandras and Philomenas and Agnesies and Jeanettes. And, you know, I knew all these women. I grew up with them as a kid watching my mommy's knee. My mommy was the woman who did the hair in the house. She was the woman who would do a, a beehive for you and do a wee perm and stuff. So it was quite a lot of it was based on visuals and a lot of it is fiction. Do you think in pictures? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. And um, there's a time where men were allowed to have a starter family, get some 16-year-old pregnant in their 20s. I saw lots of this beside, no, that was a bad mistake, I'm moving on, and just happily cast off their their family. And it was very much accepted. Women weren't allowed to do it, but men could. Men could have a family, then go, oh, God, that's too hard, I'm away, bye. And people just accepted that was a thing. But if women did it, it was still a bad thing, but men were still allowed. And that really annoyed me. The hypocrisy of that really, really upset me. The women in the book are all amazing. And with the exception of... The guys in the current day strand, the men are all shit. Yeah, the men are. (laughs) They really are. Except for David Dunsmore, who I love. But yeah, and you know, there was some good daddies there for the war, but that went. And that was my experience was, you know, men in the 70s that I grew up with were all a bit shit. They just carried on. They just went and moved on through women to women to women, dropping babies everywhere they went. 
and they were either violent or horrid. And I think that I didn't want to portray men as all bad because they aren't, but those men were. I mean, you had an incredibly tough childhood and it is pretty well documented and you're probably sick to the back teeth of talking about it. But did you feel like you had to revisit it again to write this book or? Yeah, there was a bit of revisiting it. You know, there was, I wanted to write a story. I suppose I was writing a love letter to my mommy in the hope that she would have been saved. And I did have to tread over old ground and see all that again. But There was a different hope in my heart with this one as opposed to the inevitable of what happened to Annie, my mommy. So I kind of enjoyed it because I got to embroider more colour into it and more humour, so much more humour into this book than I did into my autobiography because it would have seemed churlish to talk about child abuse and then shove in a joke, although that's what I do in real life. But it was easier to put the comedy into nothing left unsaid. It kind of organically grew in. That wasn't the book that Hodders originally had the idea of. It was a sort of different book, but it became that book and we just went, well, that's what it's became. Mustn't spoiler, but I just want to ask you, was there a bit of an element of wish fulfilment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, 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 there was. And I love the fact, you know, there is a twist in it and that there is these women who are just acting on pure basic instinct when men have always been allowed to act on their own basic instinct and not suffer the consequences. And these women eventually acted on their own instinct. And, you know, they did suffer the consequences in one way or another without spoiling it for everyone. Yeah, I think it's like when you've read it, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, but, yeah. Because yeah. I hadn't until, I think it was probably a couple of years ago, I'd never heard the word gallus. Mm. Um, I think I first heard it on the Big Scottish Book Club. It's just such a brilliant word, isn't it? And it absolutely sums up all these women. But is it one of those words like feisty that only gets applied to women who won't stay in their box? Gallus, I mean, we, we, we used to have a saying when I was wee, my mum used to go, there goes Gallus Alice, you know, <laughs> and it was a kind of swaggering woman who didn't care about much. But Gallus can be applied to men as well. So it is quite a, you know, a gender fluid word. Even animals get it. So we Gallus dug that, it will go <laughs> for anything. So we had a Gallus budgie that attacked an Alsatian. So, you know, I think Gallus just means strong feisty uh, you know not not scared so gallus is a good way to describe the woman in the book i would say for sure are you gallus i would say i was gallus yeah yeah i would say i was pretty full-on you know i'm not scared of much so yeah probably did you learn to be or did you start out that way I think you just learn to be. I think you you learn when you're brought up. I mean, when we were kids, we were out playing at four and five on our own. And that just sounds horrendous now. If you saw a five-year-old walking about the street now, you would be like calling the police. But we were four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds walking about the streets, playing in bikes that had one flat tyre and climbing into old buildings and getting into the prefabs that were being demolished to make way for the new housing schemes. It was nothing for us to cross busy roads and, you know, leave the area at six it's just horrendous to think about that now with a stray dog at your tail and and you know and somebody else's baby in a pram because you've decided to take somebody's baby a walk at six (laughs) so I think that that's normal for us as children growing up I think we just became gallus 
Are the women in the book that Isa and Sandra and um, Philomena, are they all of them different elements of your mum? No, I think Annie was quite unique in her own way. I think they're different elements of the friends that my mum had. There's lots of different elements there. I remember my mum's friends and I remember the women that, you know, we grew up with. I remember standing in the street with my mum with her wee string bag and her onions and her mince and chatting to her friends. And I was always an observer. I was always a listener so it's the elements of all of them that that's who it is can you tell the listeners a little bit more about annie annie was my mommy she died at 47 she had a boyfriend called peter who had been violent and been put in prison for attacking women before and he took her a walk up the river clyde on the day that the falklands war started in 1982 and returned alone and subsequently went on to brag about killing her but he never got arrested for it and the police just told me she was a wee drunk woman who fell in the river but peter for years bragged about killing her and I had to live with that knowledge that I couldn't get him prosecuted and then he died alone in his bed somewhere in the early 90s so that was Annie but she was a funny woman she loved Hollywood she loved musicals she always wanted to be a film star and a dancer but she never even really left Shettleson I remember when I was in LA doing comedy and I walked up the you know the street with all the stars on it and I took a bit of chalk and I drew a star for her on her birthday Mm -hmm. so so uh, she did get to Hollywood a wee bit, but she um, loved musicals and dancing and she had a wee bit of a fantasy life going on where there was a lot of fun with Annie. She was a great reader. She taught me to read and she was she devoured books. You know, she would be so proud that I'm a writer more than anything. She'd be so proud that I'm a writer. She was funny. Oh, fuck, she was funny. She had a wild, wicked sense of humour that, you know, outshone anything I could do. She laughed a lot at life, despite being poor all the time. She always had a hard life. When she died, she never owned a fridge or a telephone or anything. And she came from a family that was steeped in sexual abuse. So I don't think it'll be a surprise to know that she also had suffered the same sort of sexual abuse that I had from at the hands of her brother. I'm sure she suffered at the hands of her father. And um, there was a lot of secrets. Annie was a great secret keeper. So she was an all-round character who I miss. To this day, I still miss her, her madness. There was a madness about my mommy that made me laugh. <laughs> Although there's quite a lot of darkness there. I mean, Senga, who's the main character, the mummy in in Nothing Left Unsaid, she's so funny. Yeah. She's so funny. She's retelling horror stories and poverty and struggling and and it's really, really like makes you snort with laughter and and then like the Coronation Street and the Crossroads update at the end. It's just She like... loved my mommy loved Coronation Street and Crossroads. So I put that in as a homage to her. And I love I love the fact that it's written like a diary, but it's not like you know a diary like brief encounter you know like went to the shops been into Bromley to boots to get a book it's not like that it's a stream of consciousness her diary she's like woke up smoked two fags read a Jackie Collins book put on the oven to heat up the kitchen for the Wayne's gone to school let the dog out for a pee because back then people didn't take their dogs out they just let them out so there's this stream of consciousness to paint a picture for you the reader of what's going through her day And then, of course, in present day, you've got her daughter, Sharon, who lived this very middle class life in Bristol, who shunned that whole, to me, I think Sharon shunned the whole invasiveness of all those people in her life as a kid. So when she grew up, she kind of put herself in a wee gilded cage, then realised that she dropped dead beside her hydrangeas. The postman wouldn't even find her. So then she craves that 
opposite of intimacy. She wants to go back to Glasgow and have all these people in her life again, you know. Did you feel like that about that kind of Glasgow community? Did you want to get away from it or did you want to embrace it? Well, I owned a pub for 15 years, so my life was very much (laughs) there. So I was glad to get away from that. Now I live and I don't really know my neighbours. We're friends and we see each other occasionally. But no, I I prefer the anonymity of that. My husband has autism and so does my daughter. So they're not keen on many visitors in the house anyway. So we were always a wee bit like that. Although we're very much out there on social media and on stage in our private life, we prefer not to have people round about us. It's really interesting. I, I have a friend who has a radio show and he is, when he's on the radio, he's like Mr. Jazz Hands. Yeah. He would like hide at his own birthday party. Yep, yep, I get that totally. Ashley and my husband would rather not have to leave the house if they had to. You know, I'm happy. I'll go out and sit outside my local cafe because I can't sit inside just now because of the chemotherapy. And I'm happy to chat to lots of people and have a yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it's the doors are closed, my brother and sister have very big family lives. They've got a lot of family and a lot of people come and stay. We don't. I can't tell you the last time somebody else was in this house. We don't have that. And it's just a personal thing. So I get that. I get that totally. You married really young, didn't you? Did you kind of go out of your way to find a bloke who was polar opposite of your mum's taste? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think uh, I was young and he was sort of my first big boyfriend. He was my first boyfriend really first real serious relationship and I never knew he had autism I thought he was just spontaneous so I think he (laughs) wanted to marry me just to annoy his family and I wanted to marry him just to annoy mine and um, we both did that bizarre that we take these really big risky decisions on madness (laughs) we did and plus the fact he kind of got me you know I think his autism got me I was I was a strange teenager. I wasn't in satin trousers and silky blouses and full of me. I was a tomboy, you know. I was a pair of kickers and a pair of dungarees and jeans and light playing football. And I wasn't really a drinker. I wasn't a smoker. I never took drugs. I was quite boring. I was into books. I loved drawing. I told him I wanted to travel and I wanted to be a writer. And he was the first person not to laugh at me when I said that. Um, And we kind of just rubbed along fine. I think, you know, it was difficult because his autism wasn't easy to live with when we were growing up. And he comes from quite a violent family and there was a lot of arguments and a lot of conflict in that relationship. And, you know, it took years to understand his depression. He he always, as well as having autism, he had depression and he had been suicidal a few times. So it was hard being a young woman growing up with that as well. You know, that wasn't easy for me. And alongside that, you had your own shit going on. Mm, Yeah, I had the dealing with the child abuse and I got my uncle into court in the 90s and got him found guilty. But my husband really pushed on that. He was really good with that. He was the person that dragged me to the police office and says, explain it, talk about it, you know. He was very supportive. Yeah, I had my own shit to deal with. I think we both just dealt with our own shit in separate buckets and carried it about and just tried to get on with life and raise Ashley as best we can and make as many mistakes as we can and make as many good times as we can, you know. You don't always get it right as a parent. You grow up and then you look back and go, well, that was a huge mistake. I should never have done that. I should never have said that. And, you know, you do a lot of that as as a parent as well. You must have been married, what, more than 40 years now? Yeah, yeah, we get married in 1980, so it'll be 42 years this year. 
Oh, something went right then. Yeah, probably just that I don't like admin or I'd have divorced them years ago. <laughs> I can't be annoyed with the paperwork. It's just like too much. So just stick it out, you know. Yeah, I'd love to believe that. But you managed to, you know, get your uncle to court and yeah. wouldn't give up. So some admin's worth it. Yeah, I know. I know. I just sometimes I just can't be. It just seems like too much trouble. So I'll just stick with him. I say that, but I do love him, but he is an absolute pain in the ass as well. But I suppose I am too. Yeah, like you're compatible pain in the ass, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Were you always funny? I think I was always chatty. Whether or not that transfers to funny is subjective. My mum was funny. She she was good at describing things, so she was good with words. So I think I think it was weird because we were all encouraged to be storytellers and talkative. And then when I met my husband, he's got six brothers, and they never spoke. They were all very quiet. They were absolutely shocked that I wouldn't shut up. They were like, "What is wrong with that human?" My husband's mum died when he was thirteen, and he can't even remember a conversation with her. So they were a very silent family, and I found that bizarre. And I remember having friends, but friends who have got big families, like six and seven brothers, which would you would think that that would be noisier. But even when I sat with their families, and I was like, and then this happened, and then that happened, and blah 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 blah, and they were all like, I could see by their faces going, does she ever shut up? <laughs> Whereas in my family, that was very much encouraged. So I think I was always chatty. Okay, <laughs> my husband's like that. It's like he's um. He's like, if somebody's like talking, 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 I can literally watch his face going, yeah. yeah. Silence. Where's my silence gone? Yeah, that, that I remember those faces a lot. But in my family, it was very much encouraged. Like, tell us again. And I go, blah, 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 blah. And they enjoyed it. But other people were like, Jesus, does she never shut up? And no, I don't. <laughs> There's a line in the book that really made me howl when talking about menopause and she says, my pee started to smell like sugar puffs, <laughs> which really made me howl. Yeah, there's some good lines in there. I, I like I like some of the, the one-liners she comes to. Yeah, and, and I love the fact that she keeps wearing a girdle because her insides keep on sliding a bit. <laughs> she keeps describing. I love that Glasgow women will describe their innards. They will, in public, in a butcher shop, buying eggs, they will describe their innards, and I, and, and I wanted that across. What was your experience of menopause like? I never really noticed it was happening. I noticed that I had stopped having a period, but other than that, it kind of just came and went. I, I think I was too busy to notice. And then by the time I had ovarian cancer, I, it was the first time I thought, oh my God, when I get this hysterectomy, will I go through the menopause? And they're like, no, you've been through the menopause. And I'm like, all oh, right. I never thought enough about it. I never thought enough about it. Tell me a bit about, I mean, I know you've put a lot of it on social media, but tell me a bit about the diagnosis. That was just last November, wasn't it? Yeah, I was on tour. I was in London. I was in Bradford. I was everywhere on tour doing my comedy show. And I just felt so tired all the time, which I thought it's normal because I've just come through the lockdowns and I had been through quite a lot emotionally. So maybe I'm just tired. And then when I got to Glasgow, I remember standing in a hotel hotel room and lifting my jumper up and my tummy looked really really like I was like seven months pregnant but I wasn't eating much and I didn't understand why I was so big if I wasn't eating every time I went to eat I felt full and I just couldn't get any food down me and I was living on something like 600 calories a day I was having to just eat soup because that was the only thing I could get down and I thought this isn't right because I do like my food 
And I got home and I, my doctor is very close to me, not emotionally, physically, yeah. we, we live close. And I managed to get an appointment and she felt my tummy and she went, there's something in there. And she took bloods. The very next day she said, your CA125 number, which is a tumour marker, I knew nothing about this. She went, it's really high. I went, what does that mean? She went, it probably means there's a presence of cancer. And at that night I had a show in Perth. And I had to go and do a two-hour show. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe I'm doing this while I think I've got cancer. And then the very next day, I went to hospital because I had pains. I don't know if it was psychosomatic, but I suddenly get these terrible pains. And I was diagnosed within a day. And they put up a probe and then they did a scan. And then they said, you have a tumour and you also have COVID. So I had COVID oh, the Jesus. same day I get cancer. And my husband and daughter both had COVID as well. We all had COVID. They two were dying and I was absolutely fine. So I'm walking about the house crying, going, I've got cancer. And they're like, can I get a wee chopped egg and a cup? I'm really ill. And I'm like, I hate everybody. <laughs> So like, I know I'm really ill. <laughs> yeah, but I never showed any symptoms of COVID at all. And I was just sitting in this living room going, oh my God, I've got, and I was worried sick about Ashley and husband because my husband's also got sarcoidosis. He's got an underlying illness. So I thought, he's going to die. I'm going to die of cancer. Ashley's going to be left alone with a sausage, Doug. This was not the plan. So it was a catastrophic hand grenade moment just sitting in here. I can't even bear to think about it to explain it to you because it's like PTSD when I think about it. Mm -hmm. Just that awful moment you're going, oh my God, I've got COVID, I've got cancer. He's going to die. She's going to be left alone. I'm going to slowly wither it. To it. And it was just awful. But the diagnosis, I got a hysterectomy in January and then I got a six course of chemotherapy and hopefully that's cleaned it all out. And then I'm going to go on to get some maintenance tablet. I've not read up enough about, but I'm going to read up on, about. And I've got a big scan to go through. So then they tell me what happened with the chemo. So in June, I find out how successful the chemo was. So I'm not looking forward to that day either. It's another hand grenade day, but I've just got to live with it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's... I just keep thinking about you going on and doing that show in Perth, having I been know. told you got cancer. How did you... 
Oh, I don't know. I've not. Just I couldn't explain to, it. I, I couldn't. I just people, and then I had to cancel the Musselburgh because I had two shows the next day in Musselburgh, and then a big show at the Edinburgh EIC, and I had to cancel because I just couldn't. I had to go to hospital. But I, I remember walking up and down that stage, going, Aff. and then afterwards, people were like, "Can we come in?" I went, "I really can't." They're like, "We just want to come and say hello," and I went, "I've got a really sore stomach." And they're like. Well, you know, we came all this way and I'm like, I just wanted to say, I think I've got cancer. Can you just leave me alone? But I couldn't because I didn't want to make people feel bad. And I had masks on, you know, because I was trying to stay away from everyone. But no doubt that's how I got COVID. But I did try my best to stay back. But people were like, oh, can you sign my book? Can you? And I, and I love that they're fans and I love that. But it's really hard to juggle that. I've got really good fans and I don't want to be near them. It's so hard during COVID. People really took offence to me, stepping back from them and saying, please don't touch me. They get really upset about it. And the other day, a woman came up and tried to put her arms around me. And I was like, you can't touch me. I'm getting through chemo. Please don't. And she's like, oh, I just want to give you a hug. I went, I don't know you. And, and I'm on chemo and I'm not allowed to touch anyone. And she got really offended as well. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So they just stay in the house, you know. People get upset that it's as if you're deliberately not wanting them to be nice to you, but it's not. It's because COVID and chemo, you know. Mm. I guess it's like they feel like probably like a mixture of rejection and embarrassed that they kind of screwed up a bit. Yeah, and I'm like, please, I have to wear a mask. Normally I I put the, because I take my wee sausage dog out in the pram and I put her between me and the pavement so that people can't reach me. Use her as armour. Yeah, she's my armour. I mean, people, I'm saying this, that's just like two incidents. The outpouring of love and support has been absolutely invaluable in my mental health. I can't tell you how amazing people have been. I mean, I would have been quite cynical before this and went, oh, yeah, you know, it's not. But, oh, my goodness, it's it's just unbelievable. The, the love and support and the people trying to lift me up and people sending me kind messages and hats and gifts. I was in Eusebius yesterday having a coffee and a woman phoned from Western Australia and paid for the coffee over the phone with a credit card for me. I was like, that's insane. That's crazy. But it's wonderful. What a lovely thought. And a lot of people don't leave their names, so I don't know who they are to thank them. But, you know, the outpouring of love and support has has kept me alive, you know, it's, it's been great. You have got the most amazing community on social media. Mm. And you've, I mean, you're never anything other than like incredibly like candid but did you feel like you really needed to be while you were going through this for yourself yeah and I wanted people to understand what ovarian cancer was you know I needed people to men and women who have got women in the family or who you know like everybody it's not just you know targeting one group I wanted everyone to know that ovarian cancer is such a silent killer and the symptoms are so vague that they could easily be talked away by you know medical staff saying well it could be heartburn it could be that I wanted people to know so I kept on talking about it in the hope and the great thing is is I get emails every week from people saying I caught this early because of you and that's wonderful that's just wonderful there's so many emails that's kept me going when women write especially young women because you know I was 60 when I got this I wasn't a young wife but there's young women who have written and said I went to the doctor asked for the CA125 I told them the symptoms and we've caught this at stage one thank you and I'm like well my job is done I can leave this earth I'm gone now that's good I've did it 
I've saved one person. That's good. So I get that feeling. That's that is like totally amazing because it's. I mean, I didn't really know anything about it at all. Mm. I didn't know what the symptoms were. I kind of knew it was something you were more likely to get when you were older. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you were diagnosed, you were stage three, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And they said to me that they can control it with chemotherapy and, and further treatment. They never said it was the end. I thought it was the end, but it wasn't. And it kind of makes you think, well, if it is the end, I'm quite pragmatic in that sense. I've done a lot. You know, I've travelled the world. I've won comedy awards. I've been in, I acted like I always wanted. I wrote plays for the National Theatre. I've wrote best-selling books. I've done all right. So I can go. You know, I feel as though I've achieved. I can go. I don't want to go, but yeah. I feel as though I've achieved something. So Yeah. Do you think, because the thing about cancer is, isn't it, or any like serious illness is that it absolutely takes away your control. Yeah. It seems to me from outside that you've spent your entire life taking back control. Yeah, it does. It takes away all your control, especially the fatigue with the the chemotherapy. The fatigue is just a killer. I hate not having energy. I mean, I, I live in flats, so I live in the top flat. And the fact I have to sit halfway through going up the stairs absolutely kills me because I could run up those stairs for years. For 30 years, I could run up them. Now I have to sit in the landing and my wee sausage dog just sits and stares at me. She now knows and she sits down with me and waits for me to go because she's like, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. And then she'll sit there with me and then she'll get bored and go, oh, oh, come on. And then I'll go, right, I need to get up. And then she'll climb up the stairs in front of me. Then she now stops at every landing to watch me to see if I'm coming up behind. So that does me in. And the fact that I really, really, really hate talking about medicine. Into I've never taken medicine. Occasionally I've taken an omeprazole for heartburn. But see this, I have to take my medicine. Oh, God. I just hate it. I know that that's a very petty, stupid thing to say. But it just feels as though it controls my life, you know. And having to get my medicine box out and take my medicine, I'm like, real against it, you know. I think it feels like an old person. The only person I know yeah. who had a medicine box was my mother-in-law, yeah. you know, that kind of, with your Monday pills and your Tuesday yeah, pills. Yeah, I've got yeah. a medicine box and it does me in. It really does me in. I hate it. I hate the fact I've got to take my medicine. It's time to take your meds. I was like, so that that really irritates me <laughs> and I'm trying not to layer it but it really irritates me your um, mum was on Valium wasn't she yeah. and it's like that kind of whole kind of Valium being prescribed to all the women is a thread that runs through the book as well do you think that caused a bit of a reaction to pill taking in you oh yeah absolutely I you've nailed it in one it's just been recently that I've managed to get tablets over my throat because even when I had to take painkillers for a headache I choke on them and it is psychosomatic. There was something about taking pills all those years. Watching Annie taking those pills has definitely psychologically affected me. And I think that's why I get so upset. Now I can put five tablets in my hand, throw them over my throat. I never thought I could do that, but I can now do that. But I never used to, I used to have to take one at a time and choke on it, one at a time and choke on it because of watching my mum take those pills. But um, cancer got me over that, so... Can now take a handful of pills, throw them over my throat, and drink cold tea and get them down. So, but it did take a while to get there. Sort of silver lining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, getting there slowly. 
But yeah, the women were all just shoved on to mother's little helpers. It was terrible. Instead of just listening to women, they just filled them full of mandrax. And I can still remember all the trade name, phenobarbital and mandrax and valium. And I remember my mum going to women's doors asking, did she have any spare tablets? They were all so addicted that they were sharing them. And mandrax is quaaludes. I mean, it's insane, you know, that that's what they gave these women back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Just giving them that uh, instead of listening to them, basically. Yeah. And I knew lots of women who were on antidepressants and drugs. I knew lots. They were all passing them around the scheme. And if anybody had some new woman get on them, they would be right up. And then all that, I've lost the prescription to get more prescription. I mean, I remember my dad going to the doctor and having an argument with him. And Annie stopped. She stopped taking them. And she stopped cold turkey. And then she started having epilepsy. So her problems never ended, you know. God. Is it kind of a bit of a point of principle to you to speak, to talk like candidly about your mental health and to not have secrets? And I think it's important to speak out about how I feel about my mental health. I don't know about other people's, but mm. for mine, I think it's important that people, because I was always perceived as this very strong, ballsy woman. And I want people who are going through mental health struggles to see that, you know, it affects everyone. And, and it's also people saying to me, why won't you wear a wig? Why won't you cover up your bald head as well? I've had a few comments about that with being on TV. And I'm like, why does it make you uncomfortable? And I want other people who have lost their hair to go, it's all right to be bald. You know what I mean? Not that I make it okay, but why can I not just be me? Why can I not just talk about how I feel? And why can't I just go out with my wee bald, fuzzy head? You know, well, if it upsets you, don't look at me. Well, screw them anyway. Was it tough? Because you were a, like a fellow big hair person. like oh, big, of hair. Big, glossy mane of hair. Yeah. I know, it's fine. I, I thought that it would really affect me, but it hasn't. It's weird. I genuinely thought when Ashley cut it right up into a bob and then my husband shaved it up into a number one, I thought I was going to have a big trauma. I, and then my hairdresser, he cut it into a duty. It went in three stages. Ashley did the bob and then Jody, my hairdresser, did the Judy Dench and then my husband did the number one. And um, I was too preoccupied by other things to think about mm. it. You know, I just, I never really gave it much thought. And now I'm like, I don't care. I've had hundreds of hair. I don't think I'll ever go back to long hair. It was such a bloody inconvenience, you know, as well. Cost me hundreds of pounds getting it smooth, dyeing my roots, having to curl it when I was going out. Now I'm like, yada, yada, hat on, I'm off. So <laughs> there is something liberating about it that, uh, you know, and I and I realise that my face is swollen with the, the steroids and, the, and I don't look great. And that's not what I'm saying. I, I don't look how I normally like myself to look, but I don't give a fuck about it anymore. It's like other things to worry about. I still, when I sit up in bed and there's a mirror wardrobe and I see myself, I still go, oh my God, I keep forgetting that's how I look. <laughs> And I keep doing that and move my hair away. I used to put my hair in my mouth. You twiddler, yeah. Yeah, and I used to bite my hair at the ends, and I still do that, and there's nothing there, and I'm like, oh, God, there's nothing to bite. I had stopped smoking for years, but I had been using these vapes that were throwaway, not not like a big vape. It was like, um, I can't, that's the thing about chemo as well, is you lose words, you get chemo brain. Um, there were temporary vapes, just like we throw away disposable ones but I stopped vaping as well I stopped everything that you know could affect my blood pressure and stuff 
So I've nothing to do with my hands and play with my nails. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm finding something else to do. Yeah, I think I just twiddle constantly. So I I think I would be like... You do, you get used to it. The dog loves this doubly... She comes up and lies beside me. I think she thinks, because she's a rescue, so she used to live with a pack of dogs. I think she thinks I'm a, a, a wee terrier. And she lies beside my wee jaggy head. And I see her looking at me because she was used to me having a lot of hair as well. I mean, she first saw me, she was kind of like, what's different about you? <laughs> yeah, something. did she recognise you? Yeah, she did. She knew, she knew, but she still is a wee bit taken aback by it all. But she's been a great comfort. She's great fun. Her and I have lots of cuddles together and she likes to... I can't let her lick me because I've been through chemo because I don't want any body excretions to affect her. So they tell you not to let your dog lick. She keeps trying to lick me and I have to keep holding her back. Don't lick me, don't lick me. Oh, God, that's the kind of stuff that you just wouldn't even think about. Well, you know, if I've got all these chemicals in my body, she's a wee dog. She could... You know, the sweat might have chemo in it or whatever. She keeps trying to lick my mouth as well and I'm like, honey, no, for God's sake. She's like, just let me lick your mouth. She's quite <laughs> determined. Tries to push oh. her stop. Stop, oh. stop, stop. Bless her. I know, she's so cute. What are you up to next? I'm thinking about this new maintenance tablet that they're going to put me on and how I'm going to get my fitness back. I'm taking the rest of the year off and hoping to tour next year. But I want this year... My big aim is I love London. My friends are in London. And I normally walk the Hammersmith Bridge round Barnes and then the, because my chemo brain, I can't remember the name of the other bridge. I walk the two bridges and we go for a coffee and then we go and walk this day, this big circular bridge walk. And I'm so, Putney Bridge, sorry, Putney Bridge and Hammersmith Bridge. And I'm desperate to be able to walk it again with my pal Elaine down in London. She's a Scot that lives down there and she's my good friend. So I'm desperate. The day that I can walk the two bridges and then go for a coffee is going to be a good day for me. That's my big achievement is to be able to do that. Because that's what we always did when I was in London. We'd walk the two bridges and then we'd go on with our work and have a good laugh and a chat. And then Elaine comes up to see me and there's one day I just burst into tears and she went, what's that about? What if I can't walk the two bridges? She went, you will. You will do this. So that's going to be my, my goal is to walk the two bridges. You very will. simple achievement, very simple. Nothing big, just want to walk two bridges. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because that's what matters. That's what matters the most is that. Walking. Right round Bishop's Park and then right round and then come out the other side and get coffee at the garden centre. That's all I want to do. And then I'll feel as though I'm normal again because I don't feel normal just now. No, I'm not surprised. Let me ask you the questions that I always ask at the end. Oh, okay. What's your emotional age? I think I'm still 15 and I'm in love with Donny Osmond. <laughs> Not the Bay City Rollers then? Yeah, them as well, but mostly Donny. I think Donny and I would have made a great couple. Do you reckon? I no. All those no. brothers around all the time. No, you're right. Yeah. There's more brothers. I'm going for the same thing, the man with the too many brothers. You're right. <laughs> Let's go back to Bay City Rollers. <laughs> Can you recommend a book, like something that's either really been important to you over the years or just something good that you've read lately? Sarah Pinborough's Insomnia. I've just read that. That really kept me awake as well when I should have been asleep. So, (laughs) God, I read that much, to be honest. I do love Leslie Thompson's book, The Detective's Daughter. That's set at Hammersmith Bridge. And I think about it often when I'm doing my walks as well. I'm looking up at my bookshelf there. I 
do audio books and I do reading Val McDermott. I, you, you don't get me started on books. We'll be here all day. Oh, no, that's all right. Do you like a crime then, a crime or a thriller? Or a... I like a crime. I also like, um, you know, Marion Keys, Rachel, again. I do like a wee love book. I love Jenny Colgan's very happy, warm, huggy books as well. You know, when you've been listening to a Nordic cold murder for a couple of nights, it's nice to be transported to a wee beach cafe by the sea. You yeah. know, I like to do both. And I love Jane Fallon's books. I love her version of Chicklet, how she can have such an edge on things. Yeah, I, I, there are so, so many. I like S.J. Bolton, the Lacey Flint series. Oh, I love Lacey Flint. Yeah. I love her. There's I a love new her. one, isn't there? Yeah, there's a new one coming out. And, of course, Val and, oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I think I've said a lot of female writers. Yeah, they're like male writers as well, you know. I don't have a preference. It's just whatever gets cast my way. And then I scroll at night and have a look at audiobooks that I'm listening to. Yeah, I love Annie gave me a good love of books. My mommy gave me a good love of. I remember her years ago. She read Flowers in the Attic and she went, that's a terrible book. <laughs> I thought, yeah, people have terrible lives. You're absolutely right. And then Ashley and I were discussing this the other night. She's like, what was the thing in the 80s with all you women being obsessed with the flowers in the attic? That creepy family with the boy and girl up in the... I was like, I had no idea, but it did become a big thing. It was it's an awful book. so weird, isn't it? It's yeah. so weird because I was obsessed with it and it's fully yeah. sick. Yeah, absolutely. Ashley was discussing this. Why were you all obsessed with it? There was a book back then as well called The Seduction of Peter S that I remember that stuck in my head. I don't know the writer. And it was about a man who, because you always read about women who are in the sex trade. This was about a man in the sex sex trade and it was a really good book. So while everybody was getting into Flowers in the Attic, I was reading The Seduction of Peter S and of course the Jackie Collins books and the Barbara Taylor Bradford books back in the 70s, which you can read in my book. She was obsessed with those as well. What advice would you give younger women? To enjoy your body while you've got it. I remember thinking I was fat and obese and horrible and ugly. And I look back at pictures and I was pretty hot. So enjoy that body while you've got it. Do you know what? That is so true, isn't it? And I know it's a thing that people say. But even now, I mean, somebody said to me the other day, you'll look back in 10 years, you can think, oh, God, yeah, that's still true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 10 years ago, I was fit as a fiddle. So five years ago, I was too. Yeah. Enjoy your body when you're young. Stop thinking that you look ugly and fat and that other people don't have stretch marks and other people don't have marks on their body. Yeah, they do. Nobody's perfect. Enjoy your body while you've got it. Who is your old bird role model? I think it would be my pal Monica's ma, Anna. She has been through breast cancer and she's been through so much and she's just got such great poise and grace, Anna. And her maiden name was Foy, so she's Mrs Foy in the book. But Anna Brown is my old bird role model. She's feisty and strong and very pragmatic and brought up two daughters in a mining village and came from quite a very adverse background as well. But it's just so well put together. I love Anna. And I also I like my pal Janie who's the same name as me, who came through so much and always stood by me. So I've got quite a couple of old bird role models. And I do like Judy Dench. I like her as well because she's got that, I don't care what the world thinks, this is what I do and this is who I am. A few old bird role models there, sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. You said about having always been strong and ballsy. Hmm. Do you sometimes wish you didn't have to be? No, I like it. 
it's it's who I am. No, I like being strong and ballsy. I also get to be vulnerable as well. But no, I think that's just ingrained in me. I think if I wasn't strong and ballsy, I'd have died years ago of the cold. <laughs> What's your superpower? <laughs> we might have just answer that. My superpower is guessing football outcomes. <sighs> Ever since I've had chemo, I've literally been able to guess what the score's going to be of football matches. Really? Mm-hmm. You could be making a killing. No, I think that's going to be bad to do that. I don't think I should gamble, but I'm really good at guessing. And I've got a couple of friends and football friends who I tell them what the score's going to be, and I'm always right. <laughs> it's really funny. We have such a good laugh about it. It'll probably go... Can you guess the exact score or just whether or not someone wins? Exact score, exact score. I've guessed about 12 games, exact score. Really contentious games that nobody would know which way they would go. And I got uh, it bang on. You're a Rangers fan, aren't you? Yes. Is that specific to Rangers or do you No, like, it's English teams skill? and everything. English teams, big teams. And I've written to some of my football fa- fans on friends on private on Twitter and I went this is going to be the score and I was bang on so we have a joke about it in this house I think it, it went wrong once so then I think I'm fading my, my superpowers fading yeah so <laughs> lastly how many fucks do you give not many not many I don't care anymore I just have to try and survive and stay alive that's all I'm doing no more arguing with people on the internet no more fighting no more trying to prove anything, just trying to stay alive. And in that note, we can hear a siren in the back street of Glasgow. So that's normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's been pretty quiet, hasn't it? Yeah. Do you live in a quiet part of town? No, I live right in the West End, right on a main road. Nice, though. Nice bit of town. Absolutely. I'm very blessed and lucky. Thank you so much and thank you for making the time to do it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a nice chat. It's been good to be able to reflect. I needed that today. I needed to be able to talk this out a wee bit and you helped me do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Janie, and you. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to support The Shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at steady.media forward slash The Shift.